What is up, folks? It's the Emulsion Podcast, hosted by chef and media producer Justin Kana. That's me. The Emulsion is a result of my desire to educate, share, and personally keep myself up to date on stories stirring up the restaurant industry. I also sit down and interview remarkable professionals that are making exciting moves in their own unique and creative ways. Fine dining, chef swaps, new gear, critiques, professional performance, balance, hospitality, as well as the occasional rabbit hole are all just a few of the topics we get into here. But the goal, of course, being that you take off your headphones or get out of your car feeling smart more inspired or more connected than when you pressed play. Where is the long ad read? You will not find that here because the growing gang of amazing folks on Patreon make it possible for me to hit the publish button every single Thursday and I'm eternally grateful for their support. But more on that after the show. What is up folks? How in the world do we do these podcast interview intros again? I need a I need a quick primer. My guest today is Emmanuel Chavez. I call him Manny, also known as Dishwasher89 on the Instagrams. Manny is the chef owner of Tatemo in Houston, Texas. He's an ex-coworker of mine. Him and I worked together at the Alexis Hotel back when I was doing like a brief R&D stint here in Seattle. And he, he, he's since moved away from Seattle and started his own thing. And so during these kind of pandemic times, we've been kind of keeping in touch, but I wanted to get him kind of formalized in a long form interview. And I couldn't be more excited with how it turned out. No, we do not talk about corn. For those of you that follow Manny already, I would actually, I, I mentioned it later in the episode, I would prefer for you to follow Manny and to Tamo's page to get all of that info into your feed and into your life. I was more interested in learning about his path to where he is now as a business owner, not just because he semi went the traditional path, but he was very thoughtful around being selective on where and how he got his experience from. And I think for so many of you that are starting off, that is incredibly valuable. If you enjoy this interview, I would also recommend you queue up my interview with Micah Mowry. That is episode 91 of the show. So it is a few episodes back, but it also gets into the working in fine dining and uh, all of the challenges that go along with that. And so if you want to in your podcast player, go ahead and cue that one up to listen to after this. I think you would enjoy it if you enjoy this interview. If at any point you would like to pause and check out Manny online or any of the specific linkable things that we discussed, please do check out the show notes, which are available in the description of this podcast or always available on justincona.com. Hey, first episode in a while. It's good to be back. I've got uh, about four of these filmed and in the editing process. And I've got some exciting clips that I'm going to be putting on YouTube with these as well, which will hopefully get more listeners involved in this little kind of podcast community that we have. I'm just so excited to bring these conversations and these interviews to you, into your ears, to help you grow. Thank you so much for being with me. Here we go. Well, thanks for being on the show. It's, uh, it's a strange time. I'm, I'm sad that we can't be in person to do this. I hope you're holding it down. You, we, we were talking before the mics turned on about... Um, how business is for you guys, and we were talking about the unpersonal feeling and awkwardness that is setting something in front of someone in a box where you're never going to see the reaction. And I did a dinner on Saturday where everything was contact free, and we were on two separate floors. Mm-hmm. And so I would like I brought the dishes up, and I had to set them on a table, and then I had to leave. And then they had to go get their food and bring it to the table because okay. it was like it, it all had to be contactless. And it was it didn't completely suck the life out of it because it was like I still knew no, it tasted good. And like the feedback was all amazing. But there's something about that disconnection that's just very, very strange. Do you like how, how has that been for you guys? Well, for us, it was well, it's more of an ego thing, you know. 
uh, especially for someone who's coming up doing their first project. It's like you want to hit it out of the park. You want everything that's in your head to go as planned, even though even though you know deep down it's not gonna go like that. You wanna you wanna pursue that. So for me to put my ego aside and ask myself, is this what I want to do? How how can I execute what's in my head, what I've been planning for years and years of uh, of basically just putting myself out there? You know, it's it's very daunting to to cook for somebody because you never know what the response is going to be like, especially when you you cook from from a position of from a personal perspective. Right. Right. So uh, take elim- eliminate all that and just uh, putting it out there for someone to see to see you and what you're trying to accomplish for the first time and not have that reaction and uh, personal interaction with them. It's, it's pretty scary because well, you never know if you translate properly or not. That, and that's the point I wanted to hit on that I think is so important because especially when you're trying to have a vision and a concept behind something, that little new – because there was this great thing that I was listening to the other day when someone mentioned the – droning on that some people do when they drop a dish off at a at a at a dinner you know what i mean and you talk you talk for you talk for seven or eight minutes about where everything came from and and blah 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 blah. but i think there's that balance where giving that context especially if you're the person that it's coming from your mouth you know what i mean it can add something that people oh my goodness it makes sense like i did some components on the dishes i did on saturday where it was like i know it would have been that much more of a mind fuck for the guests if they would have known exactly why I did certain things because uh, right. it like played in with the name of the dish and like the way that I presented everything and it was just like I couldn't do it because it was like there's only so much text you can fit on a menu correct yeah and for us it's it's even it's twice as harder because we we're focusing on one ingredient uh-huh. we only have one thing to highlight which is corn so if we if we miss that that's it like that's the first impression people have of us it's either good or bad there's yeah so- yeah I was gonna save that for later, but since you since you brought it up, let's talk about corn. What what do most people get get wrong with corn? What do you find that is is kind of like most people have this in their mind, but they're missing this complex kind of like history and layers and all of that stuff. Talk to me a little bit about that. You just said it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the history. Uh-huh. Uh, the demo. It's a project. It's a it's a project that started as an idea to create a restaurant. And based the menu just on corn and highlight, highlighting different dishes made from corn. But uh, quarantine or 2020 basically took that off of our feet. Uh, so we had to adapt real quick to change this. It was either that or just kill the project. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to challenge myself and see what else, how we can uh, nurture the community, but keep an identity, keep our identity and just highlight and focus on corn. So corn to us is very special because, especially in Texas, because we're in basically taco, taco state. You right, know? right. Uh, state. We're so close to the border. Uh, immigrants out here are crazy about tacos. Uh, foodies out here, all, all you see on their feet is taco this, taco that. But what are we saying about the taco? What? How can we not highlighting the actual foundation of the taco? We talk about tacos, but we don't talk about the corn. People are so disconnected from our history that they don't know where corn comes from, or they don't—they've never tasted real corn. We have this idea that corn should should last forever, 
that's uh, store-bought tortillas, masa from actual flour. So things like that really make it really hard on us to, it's really hard for us to like not have that connection with people and talk about why corn is so, such an important staple in our society today, in our uh, culinary history, our identity as society, as immigrants. So little things like that are, are basically what we want to touch with with this project at Demo. We introduce uh, this staple, this superpower food to, to our communities. Where did you even start in researching all of this stuff? Like, well, okay, I want that answer, but I also was curious if there was a light bulb moment where you were watching something or listening to something or you read a cookbook or something where it was like, that's what I need to do. Because I remember back at like, uh, author's corner you were doing like paniagua and like it was it was still taco focused but this seems like a much more dialed in kind of vision yeah i think it's that the fact that i realized that i myself was a problem you know like, <laughs> interesting i'm an immigrant that never actually seen a cornfield that never actually had a corn tortilla a proper corn tortilla and then i was we were working with eric rivera and he knew more about corn than i did yeah yeah and yeah to me was like life-changing. I was so ashamed of not knowing where I come from, uh, this, a staple in my, my own history, my own culinary background, that that forced me, and then that forced me to actually deep, like, deep, deep, deep into it. And the more I kept digging, the more I learned, the more I learned, the more I grew, I knew about myself, and uh, it gave me a confidence, because now I know where I am come from. I knew where I was going, but I didn't know where I was coming from. So that gave me a confidence to just keep going and not stopping. And then the more I did, the more research that I did, the more I fell in love with it. And then that was just, once you fall in love with something and you're, you're actually passionate and obsessed, obsessed with, it's game over. And especially during times like this, like that in and of itself, like that why gives you the fuel to continue to push beyond these little, like these obstacles, right? Because it's like, if you were like, I don't know, man, like if you were if you were making croissants and you were just kind of jazzed about it because it was trendy and you could like sell out at pop ups, then like COVID, something like COVID hits. And it's just like we were talking uh, again before the interview of like because the concept was so new, you were able to like adapt it on the fly as opposed to and because uh, you would have maybe like let it just go by the wayside if it was something that you were just like, eh, this is kind of like whatever. Yeah, correct. And it's not like that. <laughs> Were there a uh, specific book? If, if if someone's listening to this and is like, I, I really want to like this. This makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, did I lose you there for a second? Um, no. Okay. Uh, if someone's listening and is like, okay, this makes sense to me. Like, I really want to kind of like do a little bit more digging or I just personally kind of want to geek out about corn. Is there is there a like I have a book that's just literally called Seaweeds. Is there a book that's like that on, on corn or a blog or a, something deep diving that someone can go to that I can link for people? You have so many resources out there, uh, especially on Instagram. You yeah. Know, Instagram is not right. Instagram is not what it used to be five years ago when it was just a picture and uh, bragging, whatever, right? Editing. And uh, oh, cool. Let me, let me look cool. It's actually a network of people. And uh, if you really dive into it, you can find these subgenres or of communities of people with same interest as you and then you just literally just hashtag your interest and then okay so and, and you were also probably dming some of these people and like 
yeah, no, basically they they ended up DMing me. It was it was crazy because instead of me looking for answers, the answers came to me, which is so naturally like it was just unfolding and unraveling it on its own. Again, just by clicking that curiosity of where I come from. Uh, the bad thing about it is, this, uh, well, personally, my immigration status didn't allow me to travel back and forward to Mexico and explore these things firsthand. Right. DMing or emailing became like my only resource of communication, and that that was that was hard. Uh, it's hard because from their perspective, it's an, it's like, why is this American kid uh, so interested in what we have to offer? You know, our, our own people should be more interested. And then from this perspective, it's like, well, you know what? You just you just want to make a taco. There's plenty of taco places. Like, what makes it so different? What makes your project so, so special? So a lot of back and forward, a lot of trying to convince both sides that uh, it's more than that. You know, it's, it's literally just revisiting flavors that are lost to our community, reintroducing them to our community uh, for various amount of, amounts of recent economical uh, health purposes. Right now that COVID's limited, has limited our eating options. We should be eating more healthier than ever. Uh, we should be knowing exactly where our food comes from. We should supporting, be supporting everyone who's uh, small, small businesses all across the board, black, white, Mexican, Asians, uh, yeah, st- little stuff like that that makes us totally. I you 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 briefly brought it up, but I, I I wanted to I had it as one of like the main things that I wanted to chat through with you because your progression as a professional chef has been what I'm arguing is like the new modern take on getting started as a career because it was so semi-anti-establishment but then you also like you you paid your dues in certain respects and there's there's a lot of like people who are either interested in in going to culinary school here they're they're in culinary school now or they're they're a line cook on their way to work listening to this right now so can you can you take us through kind of those initial first years with you because there was a lot of a lot of successes a lot of screw-ups a lot of like you know getting humbled in in good and bad ways so can you can you talk through that a little bit because i think that story is really really impactful i think my story began uh cooking wise about nine years ago again with the whole it's just it's all about immigrant immigration immigration (laughs) because i migrated to the states at the age of nine uh my parents like i had no saying in this whatsoever you know you're nine years old you just go with a roll with the punches and then my parents happened to to land jobs here in texas in a restaurant business at taquerias uh, there's a text mess, a chain of Tex-Mex restaurants where it's literally just low quality ingredients reproduce. And then just, that's as, as far as you can go. You know, there's no really, no love, no thought, no recipes involved. It's just pay and go, you know, we're here. We're always going to be here. The community is always going to support us. So I kind of grew up with that mentality of this is what food is. Uh, it was lettuce on your taco. It was your tomato in the middle of fucking December. Just everything that you shouldn't do in a food establishment, I saw it growing up. And to me, that was normal. So when uh, I graduated high school and I had the opportunity to either go to college or keep working, I took the, I felt like I took the easy way out and just kept working on those establishments. And it wasn't until I, I became a father at the age of 21 that really that really pushed me to to pursue this as a career to maybe one day provide the same opportunities that 
that my parents did. So I got a, a few stashes at a, a country clubs in the city. And then from there, someone introduced me to someone else. And just by the word of mouth, by my ethic, because I've been working since the age of 12, I kind of just got hired on to the next job, not knowing what the next job was going to be. But just building this relationship with this awesome chefs that actually went to the CIA, that knew what a Michelin star was, that uh, looked up to Thomas Keller. So without knowing, I picked up a little bit of everything from those chefs. Again, not knowing what Michelin was, not knowing what who Thomas Keller was, just mimicking, you know, the, the people in front of me. Sure. It got to the point when I was 25, 26, that I, I was so rebellious and so done with technique, French technique. That, oh, you got to do this. This is the only way. And Vermonté and green beans and banquets and all that, that I started doing pop-ups around the city in my, in my living room and just charging people uh, whatever fees. Again, I didn't have a, a, a basic knowledge of costing a recipe or uh, sourcing properly. It was just literally just... It was around the same time that Instagram became Instagram. You know, right. people were pictures of their dishes and other people were coming, sharing. Uh, you can start seeing uh, an influence in styles and whatnot. I think at that point, Noma was uh, number one in the world. So the whole Nordic uh, cuisine was very popular. So you kind of gravitate to what's pop popular through your phone. They're like, oh, that looks cool. Like, I want my food to look like that, not knowing where knowing that you can never mimic a dish like that because you're not in Norway or in Denmark. That, and it's also you're usually plating it by yourself, right? So it's like you when you when you come to the realization or you work at one of these places where it's eight people plating five dishes on the pass for one oh, table. Yeah. It's, you knew, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Kitchens, but totally. all you picture and you're like, I can make that taste like that. And once you try it and you get, you do, you basically have no feedback, you realize that, yeah, this is, there's gotta be more to this than that. Uh, so I did the pop-ups on the Brink Dining for a whole year and a half in, uh, in Houston. And then the chef from Chicago, which was Derek, who was flying or moving to Seattle at that time to open the Thompson, uh, started following me. He was following my dinners and whatnot. And he would give me feedback here and then. Here and there, and then one day he just offered me a job. He was wow. like, "If you want to come to Seattle and get out and learn, let me know." Uh, I hit him up and I told him the story. I'm like, "Hey, dude, look, I have no actual foundation. I don't have any technique or whatnot. Like, are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah. Well, like, we can teach you all that. You have the passion, you have the drive, you have the ethic. We'll teach you the technique. That's the easy part." Next thing you know, I, I sold everything, and then just drove down to Seattle. I, I want to, as we turn the page into the Seattle chapter, I just wanted to ask if when you were doing those pop-ups, like those first initial ones, had you did you have experience writing menus of your own? Was that your first foray into that? Like no. at any of these country clubs or anything like that? Like did you? No. None I mean, of that. No. for for so, And I want to say this again. As an immigrant, you don't get those certain privileges. Yeah, coming. yeah. No, you're either peeling potatoes or you're on the fry fry station yeah those were those were the only two stations that you will ever see peeling potatoes or the fry station and that's basically that's all i got i mean i i've gained respect I, I learned how to how to clean how to polish how to fold my towels properly uh how to jump on the line and help plate and there just little things you know that that drive you and motivate you as a young cook but they were never like actual 
moments there where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be here forever because I love it because I'm learning so much. It was the opposite. It's because you don't learn, you want to get out of there. Right, right. So speaking of opposites, I think your experience in Seattle was not just prep. (laughs) Like there was a lot more to it. It was one of those situations where it was literally the day that I got there with no housing, no anything. It was like, okay, you starting next, like the next day. I didn't know anybody. I had no idea what I was doing doing there. I just I was so hungry to learn and actual actually learn technique and foundation that I wasn't getting here in the city. You know, no one wants to hire a guy with no experience and no resume. They say they do, but they really don't. And it's tough to teach somebody like this the little things, the basics. You know, you got to be very, very either successful or have like twenty sous chefs to like and just hand it hand down that task to someone like that. Totally. Uh, so yeah, so you just came to Seattle and start working on the line uh, with people who had worked at Noma, Alinea, you know, like people with re- per se, people with actual resumes, you know, that it was it was very intimidating my first week because I'm over here coming from a city in Houston with, with I have Chef Derek uh, preaching for me and, and oh, I'll have my, my friend, he's coming, he's good. I had no idea what I was doing, bro. Like I literally had had to like basically talk shit to these guys to earn their respect. You know that like, yeah, I I want to be here. I don't feel like I deserve to be here, but I want to be here. And uh, that helped a lot. That definitely helped a lot. So very, I, I I so vibe with that story because it was like when I moved to Norway, the same exact thing happened. My my old roommate John um, hyped me up as like, oh, he's this guy. He was from Grace, per se, French Laundry, blah, blah, blah. And my only experience going into that restaurant was like garmage stuff and mm-hmm. prep, like you're talking, like stagiaire-style prep, like picking yeah. a bunch of herbs, like bagging meat in cryovac bags, like doing all that. Like, And you like, like you're talking about, you get these like organizational folded towels, like you know how to clean, like you know how to handle yourself in a kitchen. But mm-hmm. I just remember like one of the first days being on the line on a Friday and I was just so deer in headlights with like keeping track of mise en place. I had no idea how to like mark my board or like figure out as orders came in, like what I was working on, what was coming next, like how to communicate with the line cook next to me. So it was like, I felt so out of my depths and I just, I'm curious as you're telling that story, what you specifically identified as like I'm really lacking in this area and how you were able to kind of like come up and out of that because you got to a point where you were you I mean like when you and I worked together we were like we were like in charge of writing new dishes and like running the service by ourselves and like doing all this stuff and like had you told me and you did tell me but it was like it wasn't all that evident that it was like I don't know you were like 24 months into doing like cooking like this you know what okay. i mean like you you learned very fast and I, I i'd be curious to hear like for anybody that's listening that's like wanting to make the jump into fine dining or like really struggling at that first job in a in a kind of like higher end place like what what helped you during that time i think it was the fact that i didn't have anyone i i didn't want to come back home with my head down i'm a very prideful individual so i knew that i had put myself in this situation and i either had a actually apply myself and take this seriously because at, at this age you're 25 26 you don't take it you don't take yourself too seriously but at the same time like there's no going back 
you know, you've already wasted, sacrificed five years, six years of your life, family away. Like, this is it. Like, either you either going to be somebody or you're going to be stuck washing dishes, prepping your entire life. And I didn't want to do that. And it was very difficult, especially with ingredients and techniques. Holy fuck. Techniques, uh, modern techniques for me, like the first week at, at the Thompson, at Scout, was probably hell. Literally, like, weighing everything in grams to me was the most difficult thing ever. I've never weighed in grams. I didn't cook in grams at that time. So when people were handing me recipes in grams, I'm like, how do I even, like, what's a gram? Totally. You know? Totally. I know never weighted anything my entire life uh luckily i had since it was a, a brand new establishment it was a, a learning experience for everyone no matter what uh, what level of cooking you were doing no matter how much you knew or, or did not know like it was literally a brand new team that had ambitious it was very ambitious and they had goals and right. they knew that you were the weakest link and we were only as good as you so they knew that so they knew that they had to catch me up to speed real quick in order for me like to not be the weakest link so we can all move at the same time because there were so many moving parts going on they had the tasting menu they had the nest they had a la carte they had uh specials lunch breakfast banquets uh saturday buffets it was just crazy so i think Derek did a, a very very incredible job at picking that opening team and those guys did great uh, at teaching me the basics or catching me up to speed really quick but now yeah the the grams and the the techniques for me was was a killer was horrible was there anything on like the organ because so much of that being in that kind of frust not frustration I, I I struggle to call it frustration but but it's it's feeling like you're saying like you're the weakest member you're the weakest link in the chain you're like and so much of that can sometimes be mindset like were, was there anything that you were kind of like telling yourself or, or you would would you focus on the little wins like when like oh I can make the I don't know like I can make the the um, brioche dough a little bit faster today or like oh the pickled onions took a little bit less time than it did yesterday uh, so you would focus on the little wins or was it like um, just be set up for service and just try to like yeah d d did you have anything in that uh, yeah I think the the pop-ups here in Houston helped me a lot uh-huh like okay look I already got a taste of what the end result might my feel like you know like the write-ups and it got you the job right like <laughs> exactly like you know i had people coming to my house writing about me uh telling me their friends i had uh writers bloggers all interested in what i was doing mm. so to me this experience was was it, an experience and i wanted to soak it in it was not like i need to be a, a sous chef here i need to be an executive chef here it was more of a okay just teach me if i'm wrong tell me help me help my cooking evolve Right. And I, I remember you saying something like that on one of our shifts together where you were saying, like, I have to prove to these people that I'm not just a chef on Instagram. Right. Because that, that I, yeah, exactly. Like, just that, man, those guys, yeah, they, they gave it to me for sure. I, like you said earlier, like, I felt like I paid my dues. Maybe I've never stashed at a, at a Michelin and maybe I've, I've never worked at a, at a French Laundry or Noma or traveled to all these places. But those guys gave me hell every time I messed up. I was like, oh, you're just an Instagram chef or you just you just make pretty food for Instagram. You're not cut out for this. You just go home. Like two months straight of that. So I, w I had that in as one of my notes because I think that we're living through and you getting 
going from basically like prepping to seeing what inspires you on your Instagram feed or through cookbooks or through documentaries or whatever and translating that into an experience that you get people to pay their money for and then you get positive media attention for it. It just... I'm fascinated with this concept that is happening in this indus- in the industry right now of what is the difference between having to pay your dues and artificial gates. And when I say artificial gate, I mean like <laughs> it's literally just a gate. We mm-hmm. You can see through it and you can see the other side of it and you can walk around it. It's just there because it's like, oh, well, it's just kind of been there. Like everybody has to go through this gate, blah, 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 blah. So what, what do you see as the difference between like you have to pay your dues on this part, but these other things are just kind of – and you t- spoke about it with like, oh – you could probably learn a little bit more about managing people and running a business from podcasts and, and, you know, like online courses and doing all this other stuff than you would doing all this work that's required to be like become a sous chef or be an executive chef. And I'm not saying people not do that, but what what do you kind of see as like, these are the things that you really should pay your dues on. And this is just an artificial gate. I think it's the format or the end result that you want to create for yourself. Right. Um, a huge example it's you mm. you deduce you you came into the industry like you said through maybe through a friend and and then you worked at these incredible restaurants had this incredible resume and then you got a point in your life where you were like you know what let me just take a, a a step back and see how i can contribute to this industry in another way and then you move into podcast and then the same podcast like you started slowly maybe knocking on people's doors maybe interviewing certain individual, family, friends, whatnot. And then that got you to the next opportunity. And then at that opportunity, you basically have to either wait your turn or work for your turn or just close that door, that chapter, and then go to the next thing. And I I feel like the industry is kind of like that. It depends on what you want and where you come from. I knew that place, particularly that I come from, uh, certain statuses don't matter as much. Like I said, I come from a family of of restaurant you can you can literally quote them restaurateurs but they don't care about either right they don't care about michelin they to them it doesn't matter so always having that in the back of my mind it was more about what what's gonna make me happy what's gonna help me transcend not at a popular uh platform but to a platform where i can literally go at night and be like wow like i'm i'm doing what i set my, my mind to accomplish and I'm, I'm doing it on my own in my own terms and I'm growing. I'm seeing the actual growth, which is it's that's the key word, growth. Whatever helps you grow, that's the path that you should take. Whether it's culinary school, whether it's staging, whether it's reading books, uh, it's 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 different for everyone. You know, it's right. all about the end result. Right. I just I think you and I both have either heard it somewhere along our path of um, how dare you not go work at a restaurant for less than a year like oh you gotta you gotta you gotta spend three years here you gotta you gotta become a sous chef blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. but it's just like all these things can continue to get disproven but like you're saying they're contextual where it's like if you were telling me uh yo man i really want to open a a hotel downtown it would kind of be stupid for you to like not pay your dues at the, at a hotel. Do you know what I mean? Like, or to get those skills that are required, but that is actually a perfect segue into this next point I wanted to talk about with 
kind of mirroring this last point of the lens at which you look at tacos, there is something inherently valuable that you took from working in fine dining, being at a chef's, like going through chef's counter experiences, uh, presentation and aesthetics. Um, I mean, I can even like see it in the way that your, your place is styled. Like you care uh-huh. about aesthetics. Where, like, right. where does that come from? Where did you pick that up specifically? Like, talk to me a little bit about like how fine dining influenced that. I think, uh, I think Seattle definitely influenced my, just the way I live, the way I carry myself now. Uh, it's very, I, I don't know if you can actually see, but it's very woodish, flowerish, uh, nature driven. You know, it's, it should make you feel good. It should make you, tacos to me, it's not even about the taco. It's just a foundation, you know, like a representation of what, what you like to surround yourself with. Uh, Seattle to me was very, it's going to sound weird, poetic in a way. Like even when you came up aboard and then you brought in this whole, uh, let's play it on branches and let's, let's just uh, start smoking the branches. And it was like utilizing your surroundings, you know, like that opened my mind to things that I've never experienced. Like working with people like you, gave me the experience that I didn't get at working at other restaurants. So it was great for me to like to jump to different projects and not do the one year thing and two year because I was able to like, in three years in Seattle, I worked in five establishments. Wow. And they were, yeah. They were all differently with different cooks, with different experiences. So I was able to soak all those experiences and keep them to myself. And from that, I created my own style. And then uh, scenery, the scenery out there influenced on how, how I played, you know, uh, no, I no longer use microgreens. I instead of microgreens, what grows around? Uh, is it edible? Foraging became a, a huge thing, you know. Uh, almost, I don't want to say a passion because I don't practice it enough. Because there's in Houston, you really can't. Sure. Like, you're lucky find something growing on the ground. Yeah, but you like you saw it as a tool, right? Like you, exactly. You, yeah, yeah, you can't. You can't. Uh, if you're. You if, can't. Yeah, I mean, if, if if your favorite tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like that's the that's the anecdote, right? Um, can yeah. um, let's see. I have so many other questions I want to ask here. So there's a there's a there's a post on your Instagram, and I noticed this presentation of the ingredients where you you said texture, and then there was a hyphen, spice, and then a hyphen, and then the word acid. So texture, spice, acid. Mm-hmm. Is that Everything that makes a good taco is there more to it? Of course, the the integration of like the foundation of corn, but like what goes on top of that? Texture, spice, acid is really like it made, that made a lot of sense. But I, what what do you think most people make mistakes with 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 flavoring their tacos or texturizing their tacos? I think we we tend to overthink a taco, and I know I'm using I'm gonna use foundation again and again and again because I really do believe like the best things in life are built with a foundation, relationships, uh, books, you know, uh, governments, eating, anything, everything, recipes. Mm. What's a good recipe? Foundation, mirepoix, you know? Mm. Again, the best taco to me, it's the, the one that you know, like where the actual corn, corn, the corn comes from, what type of corn, how you cook that corn, uh, how you treat that corn and whatnot. And then just the talk. What you put the ingredients on the on that corn on the taco? That's that should be like the easy part, you know. Like that you should. That's where you start using your own reference and your own repertoire. You know that spicy and sweet go together. You know that acid and salt and 
and whatnot. And you can, and it's not necessarily salt as in the actual sodium salt. It could be an ingredient that's naturally salty. It could be an ingredient that's naturally uh, high in acid and whatnot. So it just how do you eat a taco? It's that's the the flavors or the experiences that I want to taste as I take a bite. I want to taste acid. I want to taste sweet, spicy. And especially if you're going to have, so in that, and this is, I don't think we've had this conversation yet. Do you think that they're thinking of how, how I want to ask this? Cause there's certain, when you're constructing a tasting menu, it's actually sometimes okay to have a dish that in and of itself, the profile of it is mostly acidic. Like there's mm-hmm. actually not really that much that balances it out, but then it's like, it's this intentional and maybe this is like, depending on the type of experience you're trying to give someone, if you're, if you're, if you're able to serve someone nine tacos in a row, maybe it's okay to have one that it's like, actually, this is kind of more on the sour side of things. Yeah. Yeah. But like, does everything have to be balanced? And and when you're writing your menus, how do you think about that? I think, I think when I write, now that I write my menus, I think about how the people experience it and the type of experience that I, I want to give. Do I want people to sit down? and go through a two hour ride. I don't want people to enjoy everything that I want to accomplish in two bites and get out and then bring another group in. And in uh, that so case, it has to be more balanced, the latter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting, interesting. It's catering to the, to the people, basically, and that, mm-hmm. that format that you want to achieve. But yeah, I can I can totally see why, if you have a long format of 12 bites, one, you sh- it's barely, not even thought out, like, look what I can do with this thing, it's acid, boom, Right on the menu. You use the word vision a lot, and I think that there's this, even thinking through kind of like the the pop-ups that I would see you doing, like the dishes that you would kind of like present when we were working together, I think that there's this common trap that people get into where they think that the vision has to be 100%, 102% ready before they start, and I think that oftentimes that either in it, it it results in complete paralysis they never want to start because they never think it's ready mm-hmm. or they spent so much time dialing in the vision that obstacles come in their way or changes in the market happen or there's a freaking global pandemic that happens and they also are so they their feet are so dug in the ground that they don't want to change or adapt so how do you find the balance between knowing that, yes, this vision is ready and yes, oh, like I can actually change this up as we adapt with new challenges? I think it took me a pandemic to realize to realize that because before that, we were, I was so set into my own thing and how I wanted the demo to be as a restaurant experience that I said no to like a hundred things. I was like, no, we're not using that space. No, this color a place so it's not gonna work with the dishes that I want to create. No, we're not going with that produce, even though it was more inexpensive and accessible to us. I was like, no, that just doesn't make sense to that overall vision. And then when we had that hiatus of three months of not being able to to do anything, I, that's when I realized I came into a realization. It's either I adapt and change and figure it out as I go, or just kill it and just be like, you know, have someone else take a crack at it. So I couldn't, I couldn't let myself feel defeated. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, maybe right now we can't be a restaurant destination. And maybe that's not what the people want or need right now. But what can we do if we have, we already have 
the resources to get the corn? We already have the space. We already have the machinery. Like, what what can we do? And then that's when we change the format to a restaurant, to an actual tortilleria, molineria. And then we just roll. So from what I'm hearing you say, it's better to take stock of what you have and are able to execute on. And then every single time you do, just iterate and improve, iterate and improve. Evolve, get better. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we knew we were going to do a sell masa and tortillas to the community. That was in, in the format of the actual business plan. But we didn't know it was going to be so early on. We didn't know we were gonna, that was going to be the main focus. And like I said, just focus. It's very daring because that's one ingredient that you put in out. And if it's not great, if it's not to what people expect it to be, it's their first impression of, of the project. You know, it's either this is no good. I'm just going to stick to what I know or it's just we're going to hit it hit a home run and and it's very daring and scary but it has to be done well you said it too right like so much of this stuff that we get in our head about is is ego related and the second that you drop that you start to see the whole landscape and you're like oh i can actually do this yeah so interesting so so interesting you i have a business partner i if i recall you also have a business partner i had a business partner got it can you yeah. talk can you talk a little bit to that because I've certainly like found immense value in being finding someone who is savvy in all the things that I am not. So she is not a chef and that's the best part about our relationship. She has run multiple startups before and um knows the trials and tribulations. She's face planted herself. Um mm-hmm. but I found immense value in having a business partner and I think that I want it's I know it's not for everybody, but I think that there is this notion in our industry of like the the chef has to be the creative genius and the business uh, savant and the relationship manager and the sourcing person and right. the you know what I mean? The TV presence and, and create your yeah. yeah, yeah. And so like dispelling uh, or I guess in encouraging people to find a yin to their yang in that like find someone who can complement your weaknesses um or play off of you or do things that you don't like to do um Mm -hmm. so can you speak to it to that experience of having a business partner what did you learn what did you like yeah no it's it's like i tell people it's like getting into a relationship you know you can date somebody for five years two three years two years and it might not be the right person you know uh it's basically like that you gotta spend a lot of time with this person. You got to know they're good, they're bad, they're weak. Like you said, their weaknesses, their strengths. Cause it's not just, you're not, they're not just here to, there to compliment you, but you, you're there to compliment them. And it right. goes back. Uh, the person that I chose initially as my business partner was much older than me. She was in her mid early forties. I want to say, yeah, early forties. Okay. Great, great human being, great person, great friend became a, a great mentor to, to me. Uh, never worked in the kitchen. She did have a. Uh, she did have a foundation, because she came from corporate, so she knew the the back ends of the what all of us don't want to deal with, and the politics, and where to get the permits, and accounting, and all that that we don't have the time for. So she brought a lot of, a lot to the table. It just got to the point that we didn't see eye to eye in certain things. You know, we are so like, like you said, we. We don't know how much creative creativity can cost, right? Because don't 
we don't see numbers. We just see it's good or bad. Yep, yep, yep. And that, to me, that was a great lesson to actually see because I knew what that demo was in my head. So to see that demo in my head and dishes, to actually see it on paper and numbers and budgets in meetings, that was to me, I was like, holy fuck, this is real. Like, we're actually doing this, you know? It's not just me and my with my phone, like telling people and my friends, oh, yeah, I'm going to open a restaurant. It's literally meetings at the bank, meeting with investors, with uh, realtors, yep. you know, accountants, uh, lawyers, and then just seeing that vision for, come through, not come, not really come through, but seeing that initial vision transit, transcend into actual numbers and uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for to actual. Yeah, it's like concrete. Like it yeah. actually, yeah, you can see it. Yeah, yeah. It's not just it's yeah. It's not. Fortune. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that to me was great. It was great to see that that whole process of what an actual restaurant cost from all ends, not just the the food the food part, uh, the carpets, the lighting, the alarm system, uh, the guy that just to come see and fucking measure something cost three hundred bucks just to give us yeah you you can you can build here or no you can't build here right it was a good experience. Uh, like I said, uh, she she hopped into the project not as a uh, not I don't want to say not not in love, but we just we weren't running at the same space. I see. At the same, we probably weren't in at the same direct same direction, but not the same speed. Mm. She was more I'm more of a risk taker, you know. I'm more of a let's let's do it and figure it out figure out as we go and start putting the pieces in. And she's more of a no if x y and c are not ready then there's no calculated very calculated and i don't work like and then it just got to the point where we respect each other's decisions but we weren't getting anywhere and she actually made the the adult decision to separate herself from the project so i can actually just go right so i'm I'm very there's no resentment i'm very thankful i was because this might actually be even more valuable now because are you I mean, I guess, are you looking for a new business partner? That's one question. But two, I mean, my my business partner and I talk all the time that we're business married. Like we we're, we're we have a shared bank account together, which like we got before her and her now husband had a shared bank account. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, losses, yeah. And but so like, if someone is in, they've come to the realization, okay, like I'm okay. I want to find a business partner who can do XYZ for my business, for our business. What are some things to either look out for if you had to do it again? Like, we, my, me and mine basically had a dating, working relationship, right? Like, we, we did a couple of events together. We made sure we matched on the vision. I let her know my long-term goals. I mean, it, it is like dating in a, in, a, in a sense. So, like... If someone is in those either early stages and you can either give advice or you can share kind of like what you're going to be thinking about if you are looking for a, a business partner. Chemistry. Right mm-hmm. off the bat, chemistry uh, and sacrifice. You know, we can, we all want this or we all think we want something, but until it's actually time to put in the sacrifice and uh, starve a few nights, uh, sleep in your car if you have to, I don't know, whatever it is that the end goal that you have to do to get to the end goal, make sure that that person's right next to you, you know. Uh, unfortunately, she had two children and she had a, another another sketch and another business. So I can I can understand why she decided to departure she, because she's not at that stage in her life 
to take those, make those uh, sacrifices. And I am, you know, I'm much younger. I have less responsibility. I'm literally writing on this project. So I'm able to, to make those calls without having to, to worry about certain things in life. So that's the major thing, just to make sure that that special someone has, you guys have chemistry and then she's right there, uh, good or bad. You know, when shit gets tough, make sure she's there. When shit gets popping and great, make sure she's there as well. Or him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. That's all, That was also a big, a big unlock for me. Like, there is a very heavy skew. And this is because the founder of my company is female. So mm-hmm. we skew heavily female in, like, our, our team. And I think that was, like, a really good kind of, like, positive shift from the kind of very macho kitchens that I worked that I worked in in the past. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything on, on that? Like, because there is people's, a different dynamic, I think. Let's run the world. Mm, totally. Yeah. Like, I don't know who who needs to hear this, but they, they literally run the world. You know, like, they make things happen. They literally, like, they give birth. Like, yep. Yep. What, yeah. like, we, I can't articulate after that. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like, no, it's true. It's true. It's I, again, more more stigmas that I'm trying to like. I'm trying to normalize. I'm trying to like make it okay. Like, because it's like, oh, I, I, like I said, I have to be the the chef, the one creative genius. And then like, oh, well, if I'm going to work with someone, it has to be a, a man. Because like, oh, they must know. It's not the case. All right. No, it's a it's an ego thing. Totally. For sure. Back to ego. Yeah. I want to I want to do some Instagram questions because a lot of a lot of good ones came in. Um, Karsten asks most overrated ingredient nowadays, and you can speak to tacos exclusively, but I don't know if you've been seeing anything on Instagram. Oh shit, that's a good one. Um, oh sourdough. Yeah, sourdough is pretty overrated. Yeah. Do you see this whole thing with Squirrel, the restaurant in LA, with their jam? Yeah. Dude. Wild. I- yeah, uh, I, I, just like ferm- fermenting in general, right? Because like, I had a friend who was texting me and like all up in arms about it, like all upset of like, oh my god, I can't believe that they had like this this secret kitchen, blah blah blah. And I had to remind her, I was like, you know, in Norway, I also had a secret kitchen that we like didn't tell the health department about, and like that's where I kept all my projects. And like, yes, things would mold sometimes. But that's because it was like an intentionally like higher set fridge so that we could ferment things faster. And it was like it wasn't to the point where we were like scraping copious amounts of mold off of stuff. But it was like and some uh, his name's Richie Nakano on Twitter. He's like at line cook. And he was like, who's going to tell all these people that their favorite chefs who are big on fermentation also deal with a lot of mold on their day to day? I mean, the what? Wasn't uh Renette's one of the Renette's books best selling, New York's best selling, all yep. about fermentation. Yep. People don't get it, dude. It's like people when uh, you know what it's like? It's like when people um people post on Instagram or Twitter all up in arms and pissed off that they found a bay leaf in their Chipotle. People just yeah, don't I mean, know. They just like they're like, How dare Chipotle put a leaf in my food? And it's like, guys, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's this food industry it's very it's very <laughs> It's it's dangerous. It's super dangerous. Uh, I had a couple questions come in about just COVID in general, but Mr. Beck asks, what does inspiration in the kitchen look like mid-pandemic? Mm. Uh, just people. 
phone calls like this ones, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, staying connected for sure. Yeah. Stay, uh, informative, informative. Yeah. Non, you know, there's a lot of restaurants that are unfortunately are closing. Uh, try to read up on that, on why is it that they're closing, uh, whether they're too expensive, whether they're not built to like, I feel like we're not built to like, we're built for success, but success there's got to be a point where we actually have to like ask ourselves what, what what's the plan B if shit doesn't go the way we plan. Right. And I don't think that in our industry and that's what we've seen a lot of restaurants close. Uh, just little things like that inspire me to like keep reading more about business wise, not just cooking, just business. You know, we're in a business. It's not, it, it looks pretty, the dishes look pretty, you know, I'm one of those guys that enjoys a good picture or a good editing. Uh, and takes pride in it, but at the same time, we're in a business. We should be able to to find inspiration on the on people's failures as well, and not just on success. So, do you follow any sort of specific blogs or any any newsletters? Have you read any books recently that that you'd recommend people look to if they're also like, yeah, that that actually resonates a lot? Uh, there's one in Spanish, Oja Santa. Okay. Uh, I think they update every three days. Great articles. Uh, they're very, very, it's a very, I don't know if it's in English. It might be in English or in Spanish. I read it in Spanish. Sure. But uh, they, they do a lot of updating on restaurants that are either closing and they actually speak to these this owners and chefs and uh, get their perspective. And a lot of them, again, they're adapting, still adapting. Uh, Mexico, it's on their first wave, you know. It mm. started up in America and it's, it's going down the border. So they're experiencing what we experienced a few months ago. It's wild, so, man. Yeah, my family in India is the same. It's nuts. Uh, Carlos Camach Zero. This kind of like goes way back to our question about like you starting off. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts here. I was asking what would the first thing I do when I arrive for my stage. So you get to a new kitchen. You don't know the team. You don't know what they're going to be having you do. And a lot of people run into this issue of like they don't know what to do in a new environment. So what's your go-to? Uh, be there 20 minutes early. Mm-hmm. For sure. 20 minutes early and sharp knives. I always, don't... I always got like a lot of value from even like striking up a small conversation with like one person in the locker room. Cause like yeah. as long as you have one person, you can like, Oh, I know, th- I know their name and like I, they, they know who I am and why I'm there. And I can go ask them a question of like, yeah. What, what what should I be working on right now? You know, or like, where where can I go where someone can give me a project? You know, like, or even stupid stuff like, where are the cutting boards? You know, because like, but do you, do you think that's the stages stages uh, responsibility? Because I know panelists they give you, they send out a whole list of things like, look, if you're gonna come in, you need to know this. I've gone across. Is- I mean, I've gone across the board, man. Like, per se, told me not to show up early mm. because like my stage started at twelve. And the line cooks would also supposed to start at 12, but they would all come an hour early because you were so paranoid that you wouldn't get your prep list done. Yeah, exactly. And so that first hour for the line cooks was spent like you go to the walk-in, you check your uh, ingredient list, like you check with your station partner, like how much sauce biche do we have left? Like, do I need to make Bermonte? Like, what do I need? Like, they're getting their mindset right for the day. And the last thing you want to be doing when you're doing that is um, having some dude on your apron tails like, hey, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Um, and so like, 
and then I've like that was so systematized and like they knew exactly how to run stages. And I've gone all the way to the other side of the board where I get in the kitchen and this guy's like, do you know how to say, you know that you need to say behind in the kitchen, right? Like they think you're a total dunce of a human being. And so like I've gone across the board. So I kind of like, I kind of see where this person's coming from. Of Like what's the first thing I should do? Cause it does change. Yeah. But it just, what type of kitchen you're going into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you said, that very format with, specific format that know what they want and how shit's gonna get done or to the shady kitchen where you're gonna have that one douchebag that's gonna be you say behind yeah yeah this stop this question was asked and i'm so happy it was um chris u castro asks this question and it was also super high on my list because i used to this is how i would hype myself up going down into new york city to stage as a 19 year old kid I want to hear about your fascination with Drake. Oh god! And your love of Drake. The, the specific question is: Why is Drake your go-to artist for vibes? Mm. Uh, storytelling. Basically, storytelling. Uh, people know the mainstream Drake, but they don't listen to the actual words of certain songs that resonate with them. Yep. And certain songs really resonate with me, especially being a father. You know, uh, being an immigrant, feeling like an outsider sometimes. You know, not not really belonging in Mexico, but then the people here in America coming immigrants. So it's like little things in his songs definitely resonate with me. That's that's why. Do you like Russ too? I do. I I don't I don't mind Russ here and yeah, there. Yeah. But when he plays, when he pops, yeah, I don't skip. Yeah, yeah, that's good. No, I uh, Drake Drake was such a like I said, it was like it would be my go to music to like hype myself up especially when he like when drake snaps and really just like starts talking shit it's he just can. like it's so man i don't know what it is i don't know i mean i don't know if you remember the when we were doing the arthur's corner and eric would just blast music like as high as possible and it was basically just shit that talks shit yep yeah totally i feel like today we all have that little chip of mm-hmm. i can i can do this watch me do this yep. type of thing you up, you know. I don't care who you are, what kitchen you you've been in. We all have that little, that little thing inside of us that that gets us going. I'm gonna transition into rest, uh, rapid fire questions, and then we can tell everyone where to find you. And I want to make sure I haven't covered any of these before. Oh, here's here's a good one. I'd be curious to hear your answer on. Is there a technique you're still intimidated by in the kitchen? Hmm. Uh, baking. Mm-hmm. Sure. Anytime what I is it? Bake. What is it about baking? I think I'm not. I'm not a patient guy. Yeah. When it comes, to, you know, you. Uh, I enjoy the finesse that that comes along with baking. I'm just more of a one, two, three, go. Let's get it done. And having certain steps just to get one one layer of cake can be very ugh, dragging. So in my research for this conversation, I was also looking back through some of your posts and there was like, there was one post where it's like you out in the middle of a kind of like a courtyard and it's a, it's a post about like working in a bare bones environment. And I feel like there's something about that that you enjoy that is just not like you can't, you can't bake like that. Like you can't in baking, everything has to be right. 
Like you have to use the same oven, same temperature, the fa- even even the wrong fan setting on like a very technical pastry can fuck it up. Right. And so I think that that's the duality, right? Where like you like being scrappy and bare bones and that doesn't play well at all times with like high end baking and pastry. No. no, it's definitely that it's, it's knowing that you can make it happen with at different environments. Yeah. Yeah. But, and with baking, you can't do that. You have to be, you have, it's rules. You, I hate rules. I hate being stuck in one format and in one motion, you know, there's the theme. I get it. I yeah. get it. You somehow get a call right after this interview that you just want an all expense paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to talk to waiting to have dinner with you. What restaurant is it? And who is that person? Hmm. People are going to fucking shit on me for this, but Whataburger. Whataburger, all you can eat for sure. Okay. My, uh, Obama. Nice. Just ask him like, I want to, I want to hear his, the insights of how, how we got to this point. Cause six years ago, we were in a great, it felt like we were in a great place as a nation. And just now it's, it's terrific. It's ridiculous. It's almost embarrassing what's going on. Facts. So I, I want to, I would like to hear his thoughts on how, how one, how in what, less than two years, three years, we went from up here to down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talk about someone who like, I mean, we can all talk from the sidelines, but he's like, he's been in that chair you know what i mean that's wild yes he can tell us why yeah 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 is there a book that's been particularly impactful in your career cooking or not or business or mindset Mm -hmm. or actually yeah well a couple the aska uh-huh which to to dine there uh last november incredible experience the moment that I that I bought that book, that I purchased it, and I opened it, and I, I actually read it. It's one of the few few books that I've actually read from front page to back, and it's very detail oriented, and it's finesse, and it tells a story, and there's a reason of why he's doing certain things, and it's greedy. It's not greedy. It's dark, but not in a in a bad dark way. It's just the way that that cuisine and that that restaurant built that I. To this day, I just grab it just for inspiration. You sure. know, just his thoughts of struggling to find a place and how his cuisine has uh, evolved and developed with what he's basically using. He's basically do- doing what people jumped on as a as a trend, the whole Nordic thing. That it, to him is not a trend. That's just where he comes from. That's who he is. That's right. His style. It's it's still there and to this day at the restaurant. So that to me was fantastic and kitchen confidential yeah yeah, sure. yeah classic classic that's another one that i like i read it listening to drake going down in new york city because i was don't... like i mean he, he would talk about new york city restaurants and i was like i was in this unique place where i had the opportunity to like go work at a kitchen that felt it didn't exactly operate the same as how he was talking about it but it was like these like weird super steep basement staircases and like crawl spaces where yeah just wild mm-hmm. people people always talk about well what did what you learn in a certain kitchen i'm like are you are we talking dishes are we talking the shit that we did that we don't really actually talk about that we don't glorify like people doing drugs and uh people having sex in, in the walk-ins and it's just 
it's a it's a really raw real book real behind the curtain stuff yeah. like that uh let's see yeah. okay so we've worked brunch shifts together we did like a whole brunch experience so i'm very curious to hear after that experience how do you make your eggs for yourself in the morning omelet i still flex on my omelet skills hell I, yeah for sure french even though i'm not i don't feel like the type of cooking that i do now is very french driven just stunning a french omelet on my stories now and then just has people speechless you gotta Could, you gotta you gotta remind them and you also gotta remind yourself like for sure because sometimes oh, when you're like when you're behind smart. the laptop all day or you're like you're writing menus for so long you just like you, you forget gotta, yeah. yeah you gotta remember it's great you know mm-hmm. it might be the, the simplest thing but it's very technique very mm-hmm. you know there's someone out there you know that it comes from someone who actually put work and time mm-hmm. into this right right and I feel like it's like that thing in, in your gut where it's like, you know, if you got it or not, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, even if it's two or three tries, mm. what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think chefs can be doing better to help the next generation? Um, mentoring better, for sure. Uh, we went through a, a whole stage, I want to say eight years, seven years ago of, uh, I don't want to say uh, putting people down, but kind of like shaming people for trying to use uh, Instagram as a resource and look at everyone now. I mean, you have chefs literally on Instagram telling people how to play their dishes at home. It's a resource. We should use it. You know, like what's going to be the next thing? Like, let's let's stop thinking that cooking is just this one thing and of fire and kitchens and shit like that because it's not anymore. It's 2020, and then it's not going to be like that anymore after this pandemic. So stop. Let's open our minds more into what people are doing. And I think we'll be all right. Mentoring, for sure. Well said. Is there anything you want to leave people with? Obviously, tell people where to find you, but any any kind of like closing thoughts or things you want to share? Things you want to just chat about because we haven't freaking caught up in months? (laughs) Seriously, no. Uh, Travel basically tell people to travel when they can, you know, properly after this, if you have a chance to travel, just go and experience, uh, cultures and cooking, eating. Uh, cause we took that for granted and look at us now, you know, I'm sure in two years from now, traveling is going to be at, at all time high, all time highs, man. What you do know, you, what, uh, what's your go? Like, what do you, you get to a new city, like, you probably have a couple meals planned, but kind of like, what's your what's your kind of mindset? Are you are you super keen on uh, like seeing what's good on Michelin Guide or Eater, or what's your, what do you? Uh, I did in the beginning. I do. I mean, you always want to see what's who's who's a popular kid in town, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, if you're gonna send get a call, maybe get a table, but uh, no, it's more of a coffee shop type of vibe. I like to sit at coffee shops and just people watch. Yeah, see what what they're experiencing Same. at that uh try not to do any tourist shit i hate that uh i think i, I did the, i did the opposite in seattle or well, seattle taught me that not to do the tourist because by the time it was time for me to leave i was barely getting the hang of all the cool little hidden gems so i definitely missed out on a lot of things there uh but yeah just do the opposite of what what people tell you to do you know try to get to know a local person make a, a local friend uh, making friends will come a long way. Instagram's great for that too. Or just like 
the the internet just in general you know especially if you're in the industry i feel like yeah you know i feel like i know somebody in one state at least yeah yeah i mean it just it doesn't take a lot too i I feel like people like uh over estimate or or kind of like get intimidated by how much work they think it takes to make friends like you can go to the same bar twice and have a friend that's all it takes literally just go to the same bar two times in a row and order Mm -hmm. whatever you want and have a conversation with that person who's working and you instantly have a friend in that city for sure it's wild anything else closing thoughts where can people find you man uh, right now, we're in Houston, Texas, uh, Spencer Highway in Pasadena, which is 18 minutes away from downtown. We're operating as a Molineria Tortilleria Tuesday through Saturday okay. from 7 to 5 p.m. Uh, delivery service only for the moment. Uh, I want to say that we want to move forward with actual dinner service or dinner experiences September. Okay. But it all depends on our community and how well they behave and how much they actually care for each other. So just encourage everyone to to practice uh, hygiene. You know, wear your, your masks, stay at home if you can. Uh, don't be a douchebag. You know, we all want to get back to to our daily routines of uh, cooking for you guys. Yeah. And obviously, your link, the the link to your Instagram account as well as Tatemo's uh, Instagram account will be. Uh, linked below this episode for everybody but i think that your stories and your posts in particular is one of the reasons why i didn't go into the whole nixtamalization process of corn because i think what you show as content on your feeds both respectively is like some of the best education that people can get just from the from the volume of information that you're kind of showing right like someone can follow you for a month and see more different varieties of corn being processed than they would Mm -hmm. in probably like a year of working at a restaurant that like kind of dabbles in corn well that's the thing about us that we're literally the only one in the only establishment i guess you can say or project in houston who has that much variety of corn like coming through constantly and that's what that's what we want to do show people that corn is more than one ingredient or one uh species it's multiple species um around there's around 275 actual species mexico holds 65 of those so and we only have 12 here in, in uh in the demo so just that's the numbers are, Man. are yeah they're crazy peru has a shit ton of uh corn you know central america has a shit ton of corn america has corn it's yeah it's a non-end conversation love it at least yeah. you're going to keep busy, man. It's always great to see you. Um, thanks for taking the time, man. Stay healthy. Oh, we did it. You're in outro land now. Thank you so much. I appreciate your ears more than you'll ever know. Hey, by making it to the end, you're the type of person that I want to speak to directly. This little production is constantly growing. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like what I'm trying to do with this show and want to make sure more people can find us, a free way to help out that takes less than three minutes is to leave The Emulsion a great review on iTunes. If you didn't enjoy this show, please also leave a review. I'm happy to take any constructive feedback you've got. If you want to learn more about supporting this show with your hard-earned cash, patreon.com slash justinkana is the place to do that. I've got tiers starting at just $1 per month. Let's say you just like being involved through suggesting stories to be covered or asking questions to my interview guests. 
You can stay up to date by following along on Twitter or Instagram. That is linked up in the description for your convenience or always available on justincana.com. If you're on YouTube and listening, you can take this show on the go because this is available on all podcast platforms, including Spotify. And if you prefer video versions of things like my interview shows or the shorter intermezzo episodes and you're listening audio only, please check out my YouTube channel to see more of that. Now is normally where I'd say my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one, but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to. So I'm just going to get out of the out of the way here. Excuse me. Pardon me.